Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. talking about something that is very, very important to me uh, beyond the scope of dog training. So we are going to be talking about dogs and a specific kind of dog-related question that I received um, on Patreon. But understand that throughout, the reason that I understand this so well is because it's also really vital to my own mental health. So Paige Varvel over on the CogDog Radio Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash CogDog Radio, said, what are your thoughts on balancing decompression walks, sport training, fitness, and enrichment on a daily slash weekly basis, especially in a multi-dog household? It often feels like a bit of an overwhelming task to make sure all their needs are being met. So Paige, thank you for being a patron and thank you for your question. And I wanted to devote an entire episode to this because what came to mind was a phrase that um, I kind of came up with for myself. It's possible that I heard it somewhere else. It's possible that my brain came up with it after hearing it somewhere else. I have no idea where it came from. But this is something that I say to myself, which is that balance is a verb. So rather than thinking of balance as a noun, as a golden achievement to land on, Think of it as a verb. Think of it as something you do every day. Um, This is why I find things like yoga and stand-up paddleboarding and maybe climbing a mountain at 13,000 feet to be meditative because it requires me to fully engage balance as a verb and as an active process. So bringing it back to dogs... The question specifically asked about balancing all of these needs and also training goals that exist. So I'm going to look at three areas and one is going to be the four steps to behavioral wellness. And that's my concept of um, exercise, enrichment, nutrition, and communication as being the four pillars to kind of a behaviorally well dog. And then the next aspect is going to be competition prep training. So any kind of training that brings my dogs closer to competitive goals and fitness. So um, active fitness training will be kind of my third tier. And so these are the three things that I'm always trying to balance. Um, And like I said, I'm balancing them as a verb. I am not achieving perfection on any given day, probably ever, but rather I am working to, you know, if I feel my weight shifting a little bit too much towards the right on the paddleboard, I need to shift it a little bit back towards the left so that we don't fall in the water. And sometimes we do fall in the water and that is also okay. (laughs) Um, So The first thing that we need to take into account, because I'm always trying to balance those three things, and I'm going to talk specifically about my two dogs, Iggy and Felix, although I do live in a household of seven, so the other five um, belong more specifically to my partner, Leslie, and so she has to balance 
these things for them as well. And, but I'm going to talk specifically about my guys, um, because I know more about <laughs> their, their schedules and that kind of thing. But I may come in with some points about Leslie's dogs here and there. So the first thing that we always need to consider is individual dog needs. Okay, so Felix, four-year-old male Border Collie, simply needs more exercise, more in that exercise pillar than 10 and a half-year-old Iggy. Okay, and I'm going to say that the amount of exercise that Felix requires to be his best self is more than it ever was for Iggy, even when she was, you know, one or two younger than him. So that's just individual needs, and that's something that's just been figured out through trial and error, to be honest. So first we have to consider individual dog needs. For Felix, if I only have time to take him on an off-leash walk or train, I'm going to pick the walk every time. Whereas with Iggy and her specific needs, she has lower exercise needs, but higher enrichment needs. She's got more of a monkey brain than Felix. Um, and monkey brain is just what, you know, my affectionate term for dogs that are just kind of busy and kind of need to be doing stuff um, all the time. So her enrichment needs might be higher, whereas her exercise needs might be lower. And so that competition training piece hits some of those enrichment um, levels that we need to hit. So if I only have time for one of those for her, I might choose training instead. So it just depends on your individual dog needs. So the first thing that needs to be considered always is that. And the next step, um, the next thing that I consider would be different situations or times of the year. So if I'm gearing up for a big competition, then that competition training tier is gonna be the most important tier for me um, in a lot of ways during that time. So I'm not actively competing right now in anything. Um, I've had, you know, as most of you guys know, some health problems myself, and so, my biggest concern is just making sure that my dog's brains stay sharp, that their needs keep, you know, being met while I take care of myself. So that competition training tier is the lowest tier right now. But there have certainly been times when it was the highest, most important tier, and I allocated most of my resources that way. So you need to consider your different situations and your different times of year. And that's what I'm doing also when I say, you know, my situation might be that I am only physically capable of training my dog some nose work today. I am not going to be able to go take them for a two hour hike. So I'm going to increase maybe the level of difficulty on the nose work or maybe do more hides or something like that. Or I might incorporate some trick training so that I can kind of beef up one piece of what we're doing to make up for the fact that another piece is not quite um, meeting the mark. So taking into account your individual situation and needs is important, not just your dogs, okay? And then let's talk about training prioritization because competition training isn't the only training that I do. So back into the four steps of behavioral wellness, one of those pillars is communication. And that for me involves training that helps our dogs live better in their daily lives. And your first training priority should always be, in my opinion, those training tasks that make their lives easier. 
So that's going to be things like husbandry, things like allowing nails to be cut, um, allowing a bath to be given, um, overall kind of physical exam, uh, things that I call kind of around town training, meaning the dog walking on a loose lead with you, doing a downstay anywhere that you might happen to stop for a minute. You know, those kinds of daily life training tasks are should always be prioritized first until they're looking pretty good. So um, Felix's around the town stuff looks really fantastic. Most of his husbandry, as far as I'm concerned, looks really fantastic, but he still struggles sometimes with other people, not me, handling him. Um, and so we work on behaviors that allow him to do that better. So things like stationing and duration nose target and things like that. So training prioritization might involve competition training at one point in the year, or it might involve um, placing those life skills higher at other times. And I think generally speaking, life skills should be your number one priority. If your dog can't go on a decompression walk because your dog is too upset about the environment in which you take decompression walks, that would be my number one training priority until I felt like that was better. So anything that stops my dog from hitting those four steps to behavioral wellness is going to be my absolute um, number one training priority above anything else until we are back. Oh, sorry. I just got startled because there was a firework. <laughs> um, that's my life here where I live. It is uh, There's a football game, and so there are fireworks, and my dogs are on trazodone and wearing thunder shirts, and it's really fun. Anyway, back to life. Um, so we want to keep working on those uh, balance points, those life skill training and competition training. Things need to be really balanced. So if the dog can't go on a decompression walk, then his needs are not being met. Then I'm not even going to get to my competition training peer, or I'm sorry, tier, peer. Um, and so, you know, one thing has to lead to another always. So... I'm going to prioritize my training as things that my dog needs to make his life easier first, and then my competition goals are going to come next. And then fitness comes in there as well, because fitness is training for my guys. Um, I like to teach them those skills to be really, really solid. But also, and fitness feeds into the four steps as far as um, that enrichment piece as well. And a little bit the exercise piece, but when I'm talking four steps, I'm talking about long off-leash decompression walks more so than um, actual physical fitness. So when it comes to fitness, I'm going to prioritize it accordingly depending on where I'm at in the year. So let's say I'm prepping a dog for a national competition. If I'm prepping a dog for a national competition, um, in the months leading up to competition, I'm going to make sure that my four steps are in line and then I'm going to work on that fitness piece, I'm going to get a fitness program laid out. And then once I feel like that fitness piece is also just kind of plugging along and where it needs to be, then I'm going to start to hit those competition types of goals. So maybe working tough weave pull entries, um, maybe working contacts, things like that, maybe working a little bit on my handling, which is more about me but involves training the dog. So we've got to work it into the dog's schedule. Um, and so I'm always trying to look at these three tiers, the four steps tier, the competition training tier, and the fitness tier, and then saying, what's my priority right now? 
And then how can I prioritize um, my, my limited training time and make sure that my four steps are always being met for my dogs? Pet dog training is a rapidly growing field with educational opportunities everywhere you look. But if you're interested in being kind, pragmatic, and effective, which I believe are the benchmarks of excellent pet dog training, there's a new school you're going to want to check out. It's the Fenzy Pet Professionals Program, and it's Fenzy Dog Sports Academy's sister school, designed to help dog trainers help their clients in ways that are, you guessed it, kind, pragmatic, and effective. With a staff of carefully selected teachers, including yours truly, and a wide range of courses, upping your training game has never been easier. The cost-effective courses are accessible too at just under 30 bucks a course. So if you're interested in a truly unique educational experience, hop over to fdsapetprofessionals.com and check it out. So we need to consistently think of balance as a verb and not a noun because on any given day, I may only have time to take my dogs for their 90-minute off-leash walk that I like to take them on a few times a week. Um, or I may look at my schedule and say, you know, I've got a packed day on Tuesday, so what can I do on Monday to really make sure that I'm getting the most um, out of those three tiers for my dogs? So I'm going to give you just a couple of kind of sample days. So Right now, like I said, I'm not gearing up for anything. So my dog's competition training um, is limited to stuff that I can physically do. So we're not doing a whole lot of agility. Um, and I would say that Iggy's really the only one that's working on actively trying to get into a ring. So we are actively working on preparing her to go get uh, her CDX, so her open uh, obedience title. Both of my dogs are playing around with nose work. Nose work is a new thing for me. It's kind of um, a relaxing, fun, easy thing that we can do together right now. Whether I ever compete in nose work remains to be seen. Um, it's not competing and it's not super important to me right now, but I'm enjoying the training process and that's what's really important for me and my dogs um, at this stage. So competition training is pretty low. Fitness is going to be a little bit higher than that. And then the four steps is going to be my primary tier right now that I'm working on. So for Iggy on any given day, um, I might say, okay, today we're going to work on a couple of skills. Everybody's going to get 20 minutes of training time. We're going to work on a couple of skills and then I'm going to make sure that her raw food is thought out. So that's one of those four steps. And I'm going to make sure that, uh, and I'm going to, you know, work on her toenail clipping behavior. That's, that's a four steps, um, piece. And then I'm going to make sure that she goes on her 90 minute walk three times a week. So, and I'll kind of look at my calendar and pick and go, okay, which days can we do that? So on, let's say on a Monday, I might go meet up with a training friend, do a couple of nose work hides, do a little bit of healing, do that with both of my dogs. Um, and then later in the afternoon, they'll probably get some Kongs and then the next day they'll go on a 90 minute walk. So that's kind of a good example. The next day, they might work on their fitness, their core strength. Um, they might get on the treadmill, something like that. But neither of them are, they're both kind of in maintenance phase for fitness right now. With Felix, because he really, really requires that decompression style off-leash exercise, I have to go, okay, where in the week can we make sure that we're getting that done? And if I physically can't do it, who can I have come pick him up to take him with them? Because I have a lot of friends who kind of walk in the same area who are always willing to come pick up Felix. 
Um, and then I'll look at competition training and go, you know, what are some things that I can physically do to help him? Because our, our next goals are agility focused. And, you know, yesterday I discovered that I can pretty much stand in one spot and work on his running A-frame. So we did a little bit of that. Um, and that was really, that was really great for him and really fun for him because he loves big, you know, action-y types of things better than, better than little thinky types of things. Iggy really likes thinky. Uh, training. This is very technical, you guys. You have actiony and thinky. Um, Iggy likes thinky training, and Felix really prefers actiony training. Um, so we did some running A-frames. He's doing beautiful on that, and we kind of called it quits for the day on that. I think today we'll do. We're kind of hunkered down with these fireworks, but we will hopefully get a couple of nose work um, sessions in. I have to make sure the fireworks are not happening. I really don't want to risk that being associated with doing any hides. Um, so we might work on that a little bit for him, but I've got to make sure those fireworks are done before I do that, which means that we may not. It may, you know, he already had a Kong today, but he might have a raw bone later. And that's, again, it's all about balance. And then tomorrow, there's not supposed to be a game. We might, um, and I actually don't know that <laughs> because I don't know anything about football, but I will check. If tomorrow there's not a game, then we might do more of those thinky types of things because he's more likely to associate bad things with thinky things. So this is a little bit rambling, you guys, but what I want to make very clear is that you want to make your tiers of kind of what do I want to work on. For me, it's always four steps, competition training, and fitness. Those are the things that we're always trying to balance. And then each day, you try to achieve a little bit better balance and you think of it as a pendulum swinging, you don't think of it as perfection. You don't think of it as a marble, you know, kind of balanced on top of a, of a hill. You think of the marble kind of rolling one way and then you shift the ground so that the marble, marble rolls back the other way. And you're always trying to shift to kind of bring the marble closer to center, but you understand that it will never just hover at center. I don't know anybody who pulls that off. And like I said, this is an important one for me personally, because this is also how I try to live my life. Understanding that balance is a verb and not something to achieve um, at some kind of magical point once you've kind of arrived and you've gotten there. So I hope that's helpful to you guys um, when you're trying to figure out how to balance training and fitness and exercise and all of these things. Know that it's a verb, it's a constant back and forth. Understand that if on one day, you did a bunch of agility training, then the next day you might want to do a bunch of decompression type stuff. And then maybe on that third day, you can do a little fitness or do a little thinky type of training. So that you're always kind of trying to, again, roll the marble back towards the center and understand that it will continue to roll off to the sides. And that's just how marbles go. That's the nature of marbles. So that, again, was from Patreon question from Paige Varvel, but I am going to answer another Patreon question because um, that's going to kind of be how I'm closing out the episodes. Um, so from Elisa Healy, who is has been a student of mine in several of my Fenzy Dog Sports Academy classes, and I really appreciate this question. She says, what are your thoughts about head collars and in what situations would you use one and is there anything to be aware of? So when it comes to gentle leaders or head collars or halties or whatever you want to call them, um, I did make my opinions known in a blog not that long ago, um, probably close to a year ago, that got a lot of negative attention. So hear me out. 
A lot of Leslie's dogs go through a phase in their life where they wear head collar. Uh, Watson has his right now. Stig had one for a short time. Ghost had one for kind of a while. Uh, Watson has one right now. And Finnick, I think, will have one in the very near future. And I don't have a problem with it. You notice that I did say Leslie's dogs are not my own. Um, Iggy wore one when she was really young, like a year and a half, and she was going through some leash reactivity stuff. Um, I didn't use it very long with her. And Felix has never worn one. And that would actually be my preference. My preference would be for the dogs to never need one. I am going to say that it's not a tool that's completely off the table for me if I do think the dog needs one. The difference between me and a lot of positive reinforcement-based trainers is that I don't kid myself and I don't call it a positive reinforcement tool because it is not. It 100% works through discomfort. It works through relief of aversive stimulus. So if the dog pulls into it, they don't like that, so they stop. This is true whether you do really hard work getting them to accept it or not. If you do really hard work getting them to accept it, what you have is a really beautiful picture of a dog not pawing it off of their face. Like Watson, he walks beautifully in it. He looks like a little pony. He's so cute. He does not paw his face. Uh, Leslie did a beautiful job of teaching him to put his own face in it voluntarily, and it's all fantastic. But it still works through relief of an aversive stimulus because if he pulls, it does not feel good on his face, and so he stops pulling. And it's not only a pulling tool, and I know that, so please do not, um, you know, send me a bunch of emails about how the gentle leader has multiple purposes. Understand that the primary function for it is to give you some leverage over the dog, to make the, to make it harder for them to overpower you physically on the end of a leash. Um, and it works through an aversive stimulus. I'm not going to say that that's evil. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I just think that we need to not kid ourselves and understand that it's not a positive reinforcement based tool. It is an uncomfortable tool that I think dogs would choose not to have in their lives if we could ask them. Okay. So for that reason, I would only use one if I had a plan to get rid of it, meaning I knew exactly what steps the tool was going to help me to achieve and I knew at which point I was going to stop using the tool. So I have a plan to get rid of it rather than, well, I'll just use this for life now. Um, and that I thought it was the best and least intrusive tool for the job as well. So, and that's going to be very individual. If I were still working with a lot of pet dog um, handlers and owners, I would probably be using them more still than I than I do now. I don't recommend them to, I don't actually recall the last time I recommended one to a sport handler, um, but I did use them in my pet dog training life when the dogs were simply more powerful than the humans and the humans had to have a little bit of leverage to be able to get their training goals achieved. So when it comes to a halter, a halty, a gentle leader, um, whatever you want to call it, I think, you know, it can be a really great tool when you've got a dog that is simply more powerful than the person um, who's walking them. And especially that might be important if the dog is going to bark lunge at other dogs, 
maybe lunge or take off after wildlife while on leash, things like that. It can simply be a really important safety mechanism. As far as getting from A to B in a trial setting, so maybe getting from the car to the ring, um, that's where I really want you to have a plan for getting rid of it. I want you to make sure that it's not a crutch. I see a lot of dogs in trials who, if they were on a buckle collar, would be, you know, at the end of their leash, biting everyone, being, you know, showing aggressive behaviors, etc. Um, and they just kind of shouldn't be there, but the gentle leader masks all of that stuff adequate, adequately enough that the person can be there. And that's where I get a little bit uh, cranky about their usage and agility. I want their usage and agility to be more about just giving the person a leg up so that they can really positively, re positively reinforce those behaviors that they want to be seeing. So like any other aversive tool, um, because they do fall under the aversive tool category to me, then I want to say, is this the least intrusive aversive tool that I can use? Do I have a plan for getting rid of it as fast as possible? And is it going to help me achieve my goals um, quickly or quicker than if I didn't use it? Because your learner is owed a fast process. And this is something that I've mentioned a few times. Um, your learner is owed a quick route from A to B. Your learner should not spend five years of its life in you know, a desensitization protocol that's not working right? Or a counter conditioning protocol that's not working. Your learner is owed a fast process just like you are. So if this tool helps me get from A to B and I have a plan for getting rid of it, then I'm okay with it. And I'm going to use it intentionally like that. I think a lot of people throw head collars on dogs as a matter of course, as a matter of all puppy training, and they just do it right out the gate. And they're they just do it with every single dog without making further considerations. And that's what I think is problematic. I want to see that my dog actually needs it. Felix never needed it. And he did go through a period of time where he was um, pretty just coming out of his skin and overly excited about agility environments. Guess what? We started working the fringe, the fringes of those environments and started to go further in and I did arousal testing, which if you're not familiar, that's going to be, uh, I go over that in Worked Up, my online course that's starting soon. It'll, registration opens September 22nd at Fenzy Dog Sports Academy. I didn't even plan on that plug. It's just there. But I did, you know, the arousal testing and just to ask him, are you okay to go in this environment or not? And if he said, no, we just didn't go in until he was able to go in and now he can walk on a back connection harness or a collar with me through agility environments and be just perfectly wonderful and incredible um whereas for a minute there i needed a front connection harness and i used a balance harness um, i didn't want to use anything that restricted shoulders so i used a front connection harness for a second there and if i had had to i may have used a gentle leader instead but the front connection harness worked out just fine and I didn't need, again, just like the gentle leader, because attaching a leash to the front connection point on a harness also works through um, cessation of that aversive stimulus. The dog does not like what it feels like to pull into that, so they don't. Um, my plan is always to get off of it. I don't want to walk a dog on a front connection for its life. So just, you know, it just gave me that leg up. And I want you to say, okay, I'm going to use this tool intentionally with this plan to get rid of it. Um, 
for this short period of time. I have no problem with that. I feel like that's smart animal training and that's fine. Um, and so that's kind of my answer to the question about head collars. And I really appreciate that from Elisa. So this has just been a totally Patreon fueled episode. If you are not familiar with Patreon, it's where you guys can support the podcast for, as somebody said, less than a Starbucks coffee a month. <laughs> um, anyway, it's over on patreon.com slash radio. And I'm going to be reading these questions. And it's also just been amazing fuel for the episodes. And so I'm really excited about everything that that has to offer. So keep it coming. And don't forget about the Cogdog Radio Facebook page because we're still going to have lively discussions over there. Um for non-patrons and patrons alike. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron. 